Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 80. The holiday season is in full swing, and that often means holiday parties with colleagues. And unfortunately, sometimes at those holiday parties, things can get a little weird. I think The Office, the TV show, I'm talking about the American version, although I'm a big fan of the original version from the UK, has a sort of trope in their office parties that they feature in The Office in that Meredith is the lush. She's always getting hammered and hitting on her colleagues. And while that's super funny um, when it's on a sitcom, it's super not funny when it actually happens to you in real life. So today's conversation is a tricky one, one that's a little bit salacious in that I really hope this never happens to you, but at the same time, I know this shit happens every day (laughs) to women all over the place. So this holiday season, I am here to help you deal with unwanted sexual harassment at work. And this episode was inspired from a very real career conundrum we got in from our listener named Maggie. Take a listen. Hi, Emily. This is Maggie. I'm calling you from Toronto, Canada. And I have a bit of a career conundrum for you. So I work for a very small business. It is owned by a husband and a wife. And they're actually my only direct reports. They're my only bosses. I should say they used to be husband and wife because as of about a month ago, the wife has gotten with a partner, they've broken up, and the husband has begun expressing interest in me. Now, I know it's pretty obvious. He's actually, uh, at this point, pulled me aside and told me his feelings and expressed that he's talked to his ex-wife about it because he's that serious about it. I have done my best to be very politely but very clearly tell him that I value our work relationship. The career I'm in is very important to me, and it's a very, very small career, so I do not want to burn any bridges, and ideally, I would love to keep working with this company, but at this point, my constant rebuffing of him has started to sour our relationship, and I really just don't know how to proceed. I don't know how to show him that I'm interested in building a fantastic work relationship, but shut him down in a way that men don't tend to take so very well. Maggie, I feel for you. This is a tough situation and a real mess, it sounds like, that obviously you don't want to be a part of. So today I wanted to tackle this topic with the best woman I know to help me break it down. And that is Bossed Up Trainer team member and attorney Paula Brantner. She's been advocating for workers for decades through Legal Aid at Work, the National Center for Lesbian Rights, the National Employment Lawyers Association, and Working America. She's personally counseled thousands of individual workers over the course of her 25-year career as an employment attorney. And through customized training, incorporating the latest techniques recommended by the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, 
that governing body here in the U.S. that we have to turn to, which hopefully in Canada you have some sort of equivalent. And Paula and I have actually just teamed up to put together a great sexual harassment prevention training for one of Bostop's corporate clients, a nationwide architecture firm, which you'll hear more about in today's interview. So, Paula, thank you so much for hopping on to break down this really sticky situation that our listener finds herself in. Thanks so much for having me, Emily. So this is a pretty interesting listener-generated question from Maggie. So Paula, I mean, what are your first thoughts in terms of how Maggie should go about handling this unwanted, these unwanted sexual advances coming from her direct supervisor? Well, first, I'd like to say, Maggie, I'm really sorry this is happening to you. This really sucks. And you shouldn't have to put up with that at work. And no person should have to put up with that at work because of their boss. Because, as you said, this is a career you want to stay in. You want to keep your job. You're dependent on that job. And here's this person standing in your way and making life difficult on a daily basis. So that really sucks. That being said, it's a really challenging spot you're in. I hear that you're in Canada, uh, which means you may have some more legal rights than someone in the U.S. because it's a small business. And in some states in the United States, you have to have 15 or more employees. So in Canada, I I don't practice law in Canada, so this is not legal advice, but... (laughs) I did check to see if you were covered only being one of the only employees and working for a small company. That's good if you decide at some point to pursue some kind of legal remedy. But that's down the line. You're trying to figure out what to do right here, right now. Paula, I want to jump in there just to ask more about legal protections. Obviously, we don't want it to get to that point. But what are some of the legal protections that people have protecting them from sexual harassment in particular, unwanted sexual advances at work in the United States? Can you tell us a little bit more about those limitations in terms of who's covered and who's not? Sure, sure. There is a federal law. It's called Title VII, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and that is applicable in every state. And that covers uh, harassment uh, in workplaces with 15 or more employees. That leaves out a lot of people, obviously. So many states have stepped in and passed their own sexual harassment laws. And some of them uh, cover as few as one employee. A common number is five employees. So you really have to look and see what applies in your state if you work for a small business like Maggie does. Sure. Paula and I also, just for our listeners to have a little bit of background, we've been talking a lot about sexual harassment law recently because as a member of the Bossed Up Trainer team, Paula and I just teamed up on a contract for a national architecture firm that is headquartered in New York State where they just passed one of the boldest sexual harassment prevention laws in the nation on the books uh, that requires annual training to prevent sexual harassment from happening. So Paula and I just teamed up to put together a 
legally compliant intensive training for that entire company, which is why we've been geeking out on sexual harassment law in multiple states, really comparing where their different offices are across the country and the laws that cover you. But the most important thing to know is this is illegal. (laughs) You should not have to have harassment be a condition under which you are working, right? Nobody can make that your part of your day-to-day existence while still following the law, at least in larger workplaces, although it does vary state to state, right? Yeah, it does vary across the country. Although like, uh, like you just said, New York just passed this new law. A lot of states are taking a fresh look. They realize with you know, all of the dialogue that's happening right now, all the discussion of Me Too, that part of the problem with sexual harassment and why we still have so much of it still going on in the workplace is that the legal remedies haven't really prevented it from occurring. So we're focused on some of the new laws and some of the new training. Hopefully that people in the future will have a better handle on what is uh, prohibited by the law. Right, exactly. And some of that training that we conducted has a lot to do with empowering bystanders so that it's not folks like Maggie alone who have to figure out how to strategically rebuff the sexual advances of someone at work. There's a lot of ways that we can go next level with our preventative training, which is a really interesting area of work that I'm excited to do more of moving forward. So Paula, your legal expertise on that front has been so helpful in figuring out, okay, what's the legal compliant, legally compliant bare minimum that we have to do? (laughs) And what is research driven or shown in research to be even better for preventing sexual harassment from happening? Well, A lot of new strategies and approaches are being tried. And like you said, bystander intervention is is really key right now because a lot of us have known about it happening, known that it's happened to others, and have felt helpless in that situation, like there was nothing you could do. And now there are strategies that you could do personally to intervene when you see this happening to a colleague or a friend or coworker. Yeah. So what does that mean for Maggie? You know, is that advised? Should she rope in a third party or how might she deal with this on a one-on-one basis? Because it sounds like she's doing the best she can to make it clear to her boss, yo, I'm not feeling it. (laughs) Right? Well, you always have to start with that. Part of the condition is that it is unwanted. And so it's important to make it very clear that uh, she was not just pining away, waiting for her boss to become divorced so right. that, you know, she could step in, you know, where the wife left off. I'm sure she was Weird. happy to do that as a coworker, but not in the romantic relationship world. So that's the first thing to establish that it is unwanted and express that as clearly and unequivocally as you can. After that, it's a challenge because I wasn't clear whether or not there were people she could rope in. It sounds like a really small company. There may not be any other people that are aware of what's going on. But, you know, if you are in a place where there are others who are aware and uh, might be helpful and supportive, uh, that's that's definitely something to uh, consider. Yeah. And what's depressing and frustrating and frankly, all too familiar about this situation is that yet again, the onus falls on the target here, right? Like the onus of figuring out how to get out of this pickle is falling on Maggie's shoulders when really 
we should be having a lot more conversations with people like Maggie's boss about why this is not okay. Um, but at the same time, here's the reality. I've personally dated my boss in the past when I was a an upstart intern. Spoiler alert, it didn't go well, <laughs> nor did it end well, yeah. nor do I recommend such a relationship. But as you and I have discussed, people meet romantic partners at work all the time. So if we were to counsel Maggie's boss in this situation, a person, man or woman, let's say, who has a crush on someone at work, how do you navigate those waters without leading to a potentially, you know, permanently damaged relationship at work? What's your take on that? Well, you have to start by recognizing that sexual harassment involves power and he holds the power in the situation. And so she is not an equal romantic partner under these circumstances. And so it's not to say that it could never work out, but he cannot be in a situation where it is coercive in the slightest. You have to proceed with so much caution and let the other person take initiative. From what Maggie's describing, that's not the case at all. She's made it very clear that she's not interested. And so you have to take no for an answer in that situation, even if you slip up and go too far and and maybe try to approach your employee and, and determine whether or not they're interested. If they say no, that's that's where it ends. That's where it has to end. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, I think that's always a, a best practice. Yes, right? absolutely. If you're hitting on someone and they're pretty freaking clear about not being into you, body language, un, you know, unspoken language or verbally saying no, of course, like back the F off. Like what else needs to be <laughs> included to get that message across? But unfortunately, I think the Me Too conversation has raised such a common experience of especially women who are rising in the ranks in male-dominated fields of having to make this art form of graciously, gently, and almost constantly turning down men's sexual mm -hmm. advances. And that is not a skill that anyone should have to master, but it sounds like a lot of women have had to. So what are some of those ways? Like if you were to counsel Maggie on exactly what she should say to make it clear she's not interested and, and how she can try to rectify her professional relationship there, what might be included in that? Well, I think you have to start by thinking about it in advance, almost knowing that as a professional woman, this is something that you may have to encounter at one yeah. point. You may not in your current job, but you may be in that situation. And a lot of research has shown that in those kinds of stressful situations, people tend to freeze and they don't know what to say. And they may do something or say something that uh, the other person might consider as consent. And so the more you practice, the more you think about how you would approach this if it happens to you. Hope it never does, but that's one way to prepare. Uh, because in the heat of the moment, you don't know exactly how it's going to go down. That's such a good reminder for folks to forgive themselves if they do freeze. I'm totally in that category. Whenever I've been on the receiving end of harassment of any kind, I want to be the fight person in the fight, flight, or freeze. I aspire to be the fighter. 
And I find myself freezing every time because it's just such a shock and such a disappointment and such a violation that if you don't have the perfect words in your back pocket to instantly shut that conversation down, you know, you shouldn't beat yourself up about it because there's no way to be a perfect target of sexual harassment. (laughs) Like it shouldn't be happening to you. Right. It should be happening to you. And sometimes it may come up in a social situation, a a travel situation, an unfamiliar environment. Maybe you've had uh, some alcohol to drink and are not feeling completely confident uh, in your your faculties at the time. But again, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. You've not done anything wrong. And so we have to keep the focus on the person that is violating the law and targeting their employees. So what does the conversation look like the next day? Let's say something goes down the night before you freeze. You're really, you know, worried about the next conversation you're going to have to set a new tone, to set a professional tone, to set a boundary establishing tone. What might be her next move the next day, whether it's with HR or directly with uh, her boss. So even before the next day, I think it's helpful to write everything down as soon as you're in a place where you can record something into your phone or just make a little note to yourself that you stash in, in your bag so that later you have the information about what happened and can talk about it confidently rather than, well, I think he might have said this or I, well, I'm not sure, you know, you want to be as confident as you can be. And again, you shouldn't have to be, but that's just, you know, the reality of this conversation is that you want to be very clear and direct about what happened. Yeah. So take a memo, Comey style, right? Like write yourself a memo. You never know if you're going to need it. I always say that whenever there's a slight in the workplace, whenever someone offends anyone in the workplace, whenever you have a troubled relationship in the workplace, take a proper memo so that you have it saved for when hopefully you might not need it, but when you might need it. Yeah. And if there's somebody to tell immediately that you feel comfortable discussing with it about it, whether it's a partner or your best friend or someone that you feel that you can talk about it at the time to just, you know, calm down, validate your handling the situation, help you strategize about what to do next. All of that can be very valuable before, even before you go to work the next day. Yeah just from a psychological standpoint, right? Like just regaining your sense of autonomy and control. And I think that key word you mentioned is validating, like someone who's going to validate your experience. And if that person you go to is not validating your experience or God forbid is questioning your recollection, even though they weren't there or starting to victim blame and saying, well, you shouldn't have been there or you shouldn't have worn that, you know? moveon.com, right? Like get another person because that person is not going to help you psychologically get what you need. So once we've tackled the process of taking a memo like that, what comes next, Paula? Well, you're going to have to go into the into work the next day and face your boss. And so the question is, what is that conversation going to look like. And you may want to kind of map it down, map it out in advance as much as you can. Try to anticipate what he might say. Again, think about some things that you want to say and make clear that this has made you very uncomfortable. 
that you have made it clear that you're not interested in pursuing a relationship, you may point out, you know, you've decided it's just not a great idea to ever be involved with anyone at work, especially yeah. in this situation. Not your boss. Not your boss is going through a divorce. Um, you know, but, yeah, you know, just not the ideal uh, grounds for kicking off a relationship. Right. And like you said, the power dynamic will never be equal. It just can't be. So assuming that most of the women listening to this podcast are looking for relationships in which they can be equal partners, it's probably not going to happen. I mean, I've seen it happen. I think it was a couple I knew in Rhode Island that had at one point been a coach slash athlete relationship turned into a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, which I always found slightly uncomfortable, but, you know, people are adults or they become adults and then they can pursue the relationships that they want to pursue. But just keeping in mind that if you want to start an equal partnered relationship, if you're looking for a relationship in which you have equal agency over, over, you know, your life, it's probably not going to happen when you're dating your boss, right? Probably not. No, no, it's, it's probably (laughs) not. And I think also that if the relationship is more important to you than your job, then there are things you can do. You can consider, you know, moving on to a new job and getting yourself established somewhere else where there will not be that power dynamic. And, you know, if it's meant to be, you know, it will be there in a few months. And if it's not meant to be, then certainly engaging in this crazy situation at work is just not going to be a good start to anything healthy and productive. Right. That's a great point. Because at times there it might be the start of a relationship that you care more about than the job itself, in which case there's a good argument for switching jobs up so you can pursue that relationship without it being mm-hmm. icky mm-hmm. and weird and you know, opening the company up to liability as well to think in a lawyerly way. Yeah. I've heard of people doing that. And I think it's, it's, you know, if that seems more important to you overall in your life as a priority, then yeah, it will be there. There's not an expiration date on that uh, offer. And if there is, then the relationship wasn't meant to be. (laughs) That's a good way of looking at it. Especially, you know, he's still married, right? Yeah, (laughs) it's complicated. I mean, I don't want to cast judgment on anybody for their relationship choices and every marriage is different and every, you know, all those asterisks and caveats. But, you know, from based off of Maggie's question, which is what this whole conversation kicked off as, it's pretty clear what she needs to do. and, And it's pretty clear what her boss needs to do. If this continues to happen to Maggie at work, what do you think makes sense for her in terms of next steps and what kinds of legal recourses are there for her handling this, God forbid, if it does escalate to the point of of a lawsuit? Well, again, I'm not an expert on Canadian law, but in the U.S., um, I would recommend that she speak with an attorney and, you know, find someone local in her area or... You know, there's the the new Times Up funds, which was created for this very purpose of of supporting people who've been targeted for sexual harassment in the workplace. So, talk to someone who can tell you what are the options under federal law, under state law. You know, what are all the avenues available to you? And generally, you have to file with a government agency, either the EOC um, or a state agency. 
and go through that process before you can file a lawsuit. But the lawyer is going to be best positioned to help you out with that situation. That's a good point. And for our listeners here in America, your website, workplacefairness.org, is also a great resource full of how to and and how to deal with this kind of stuff and a whole bunch of workplace related injustice issues, right? That's correct. I mean, there's the law of all 50 states for harassment and a number of other legal topics. There are the government agencies that you can file with, and there are lists of attorneys uh, in your local area. So um, however you choose to proceed, there are different resources there that can help you. Awesome. Awesome. And I think the biggest thing for us to keep in mind, and really that I know we want to get across in today's conversation is that you shouldn't have to put up with this. This does not need to be a condition of work for you. It is not legal for that to be a condition for your work. And it shouldn't be on you to deal with this. But unfortunately, until the uh, harassers of the world knock it off and get the message that time's up, it is on us in some ways to own our power to deal with these issues, whether it's in an interpersonal way through HR or through the legal channels that are available to us. So the most important thing that I've learned about when it comes to harassment at work in recent years has everything to do with retaliation. Tell me what retaliation is and how folks like us are protected from retaliation when reporting harassment at work. So what uh, the anti-retaliation standards mean is that if you pursue illegal action or you complain against sexual harassment or you support someone else who has been harassed and, and you want to validate their experience, if you participate in any way and then something happens, your boss fires you or demotes you or doesn't give you a raise or all the kinds of punitive actions that a boss might take in that situation, then that is also grounds for a lawsuit. Even if the original claim wasn't considered to meet the legal standards for harassment, you may have a valid retaliation claim. Right. So that's such a good point. Maggie, if you or if anyone listening who's who's dealing with this kind of harassment at work If you take action, like you report this harassment, you make it clear it's unwanted, and then things go way south at your workplace, if you feel like all of a sudden you're not being invited to meetings, you're being excluded, you're being squeezed out, document the hell out of that too. Because that's where you have a real case on your hands that you've been denied access to employment, to advancement, to compensation, which is a lot easier to prove in a legal court in some cases than the harassment itself. So if your career is being punished because of someone else's bad behavior, that is not okay. And you have rights to claim, and you should absolutely talk to a lawyer at that point for sure. Definitely. That's, again, sometimes that may be the strongest remedy you have in the situation. I encourage people to keep a diary. Just write down how everything's going every day and everything that happens, because it may not be one big thing where, okay, you're fired because you complained about sexual harassment. Usually people aren't that blatant. won't say it hasn't happened, but usually not. But what it may be is death by paper cuts, just day after day after day, little things, little things over and over and over, microaggressions, continually being told that you're doing something wrong or 
there are, there are a number of ways, but just start to track everything that happens from that point on if you feel like, you know, as you said, the situation's going south. Yeah. Well, I feel like we've given our listeners today a pretty good rundown of the remedies available to them in this very unfortunate situation that Maggie has found herself in and and that nobody deserves to be in. But Paula, thank you so much for helping me break down this very tricky career conundrum today. Thank you for having me, Emily. It's been a pleasure. And now it's time for this week's Boss Move Moment of the Week. Hey, Emily, it's Kim Herward, and I wanted to call in and tell you about my bossed-up move of really the year of 2018. So in July of this year, I made the decision to pursue an internal position in my company to take on my very first management position. And it not only meant my very first management position, but also taking a role in a brand-new department of my organization that I really didn't have a lot of exposure to. And the additional twist is that at the time, I was six months pregnant. And when I applied for the position in July, I got a lot of mixed reviews. Some people were very supportive and were like, hell yes. And I actually did get a few people who were like, are you really sure you want to take on this type of change in your career when you are about to also become a mother. Well, cut to October of this year, I was actually offered the position. And again, the cheering and also the questioning of this decision came. And ultimately, I decided that I wanted to take on this next move of my career. And I accepted the position because I don't feel that my desire to become a mother and my desire to further my career and fulfill my goals and fulfill myself through my career achievements should have to impact one another. I took the role and I'm very thankful that I did now that I have. My new director is amazingly supportive. And I do think that, um, you know, as a side note, I think it really depends on the company you work for. I'm very fortunate to work for a company that is very family-oriented and, you know, is very open to if you're pregnant, that's not that's not a hindrance. It's actually a great thing. But I'm also really proud because I feel proud of myself and because this new team that I'm leading, there are a couple of young women, and we've talked about their futures and their careers, and they've expressed sort of the same apprehension that I think a lot of women have, which is, can I have a career that's fruitful, while also wanting to become a mother. And I hope that what I can do is be a role model for them. You get it, boss. Thank you so much for calling in. I am cheering you on and so proud of you. And really your words and your experience are encouraging others listening to this podcast right now to maybe do the same or to boss up in their own way in their own career and life. So thank you for calling in. If you have a boss move you'd like to share and be featured on the podcast next or have a career conundrum you want me to break down in the new year, don't hesitate. Give our hotline a ring right now at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. And now it's time for me to say thank you and to express my gratitude, something you know I believe in since we've actually 
produced a podcast on the importance of expressing your gratitude in the past that I'll link to below because it's it's that time of year for us all to be especially grateful. And I'm especially grateful for you, listeners, including Vera Todorova from Canada, also like today's caller, who left this recent review in iTunes calling me her free mentor. She said, the way Emily helps to unpack career conundrums is extremely helpful and applicable to everyday situations in the office. Thanks for putting out the podcast each week and for all your hard work. Thank you. I love this review and I so appreciate you listening and taking time out of your busy day to actually rate and review in iTunes. It means the world to me. It's your biggest endorsement. It is a total gift. And I so appreciate you taking time out of your day to make your thoughts known because every single time you review the podcast, it means more people are going to stumble upon it too. So thank you for your support. Bosses, have a happy, healthy, and wonderfully bossed up holiday season. I know we're in the thick of it now, and there's so much going on, but this is a time of year not to forget about you, what you need, what you want, and how you are setting yourself up to have your best possible next year, and and really to make the boss moves that you want to make in 2019. So if you haven't already gotten in on the Bossed Up Life Tracker Planner community, you're going to want to do that now. The Bossed Up Life Tracker is, of course, our research-driven planner that also comes with a year-long accountability program. Not only are you going to have three masterclasses with me in January alone to set yourself up to crush it in the new year, but this time in 2019, we've committed to quarterly accountability calls with everybody who's using the planner so we can check in with one another, be mindful about how we want to move forward in our lives and our careers, and really design our lives around sustainability, not sprinting your way to success and burning out as a result. So if that sounds like something you want to set yourself up with in the new year, make sure to click the link below where you can get the details on what planners we have left and snag yours before we sell out. There are a limited number of them. We only print a certain number each year, and this year they're going really, really fast. So get your hands under copy now. Thanks so much for listening. As always, keep Boston in pursuit of your purpose, and together we'll continue to lift as we climb. Let's face it. Speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And it actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men. And it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. 
Speak Up, my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment, and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup. 